Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. This week on Drift Off, we're asking you to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. This is a free way to support the podcast while giving you a chance to share what you love about the show. You can let us know which episode is your favorite, and it helps other sleepy listeners discover Drift Off too. It's super easy. Hop onto Apple Podcasts, scroll down our show page, select a star rating, and then tap Write a Review. We'll be sure to take a look and share some of our fan favorites and upcoming episodes. Thank you for your support. It truly is an honor helping you get restful sleep. Tonight I will be reading from the Maida book series by Enos Haynes Irwin, published in 1909. The story is about a sweet little girl named Maida who is sickly and lame. Her father is well known to be one of the most wealthiest men in America. He decides to buy her a little shop in Charleston, Massachusetts, to give her a purpose and to help restore her health. However, he has one condition that she not tell anyone who she is or who her father is. And for the first time in her life, Maida makes wonderful new friends because they think she's just an ordinary girl. And so, as always, my friend, settling comfortably under the covers, take a slow, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down into the softness of your bed. There is nothing left to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 8 A Rainy Day The next day, it rained dismally. Maida had been running the shop for three weeks, but this was her first experience with stormy weather. Because she, herself, had never been allowed to set her foot outdoors when the weather was damp, she expected that she would see no children that day. But long before the bell rang, they crowded in wet, streaming groups into the shop and at nine, the lines disappearing into the big school doorways seemed as long as ever. Even the Clark twins in rubber boots, long rain capes, and a baby umbrella came in to spend their daily pennies. I guess it'll be one session, Maida, Dortha whispered. Oh, goody, Dorothy, Mabel lisped. Don't you love one session, Maida? 
Maida was ashamed to confess to such tiny girls that she did not know what one session meant, but she puzzled over it the whole morning. If Rosie and Arthur had come in, she would have asked them, but neither of them appeared. Indeed, they were not anywhere in the lines. Maida looked very carefully. At twelve o'clock, the school bell did not ring. In surprise, Maida craned out of the window to consult the big church clock. It agreed exactly with the tall grandfather's clock in the living room. Both pointed to twelve, then to five minutes after, and ten and fifteen. Still no bell. A little later, Dickie came swinging along, the size of his old rusty raincoat flapping like the wings of some great bird. It's one session, Maida, he said excitedly. Did you hear the bell? What's one session, Dickie? Maida asked. Why, when it's too stormy for the children to go to school in the afternoon, the fire bells ring twenty-two at quarter to twelve. They keep all the classes in until one o'clock, though. Oh, that's why they don't come out, Maida said. At one o'clock, the umbrellas began to file out of the school door. The street looked as if it had grown a monster crop of shiny black toadstools, but it was the only sign of life that the neighborhood showed for the rest of the day. The storm was too violent for even the big boys and girls to brave. A very long afternoon went by. Not a customer came into the shop. Maida felt very lonely. She wandered from shop to living room and from living room to chamber. She tried to read. She sewed a little. She even popped corn for a lonesome fifteen minutes. But it seemed as if the long dark day would never go. As they were sitting down to dinner that night, Billy bounced in. His face pink and wet his eyes sparkling like diamonds from his conflict with the winds. Oh, Billy, how glad I am to see you, Maida said. It's been the lonesomest day. Sure, the sight of you's grand for sore eyes, said Granny. Maida had noticed that Billy's appearance always made the greatest difference in everything. Before he came, the noise of the wind howling about the store made Maida sad. Now it seemed the jolliest of sounds. And when at seven, Rosie appeared, Maida's cup of happiness brimmed over. While Billy talked with Granny, the two little girls rearranged the stock. My mother was awful mad with me just before supper, Rosie began at once. It seems as if she was so cross lately that there's no living with her. She picks on me all the time. That's why I'm here. She sent me to bed. But I made up my mind I wouldn't go to bed. I climbed out of my bedroom window and came over here. Oh, Rosie, I wish you wouldn't do that, Maida said. Oh, do run right home. Think how worried your mother would be if she went up into your room and found you gone. She wouldn't know what had become of you. Well, then, what makes her so strict with me? 
Rosie cried. Her eyes had grown as black as thunderclouds. The scowl that made her face so sullen had come deep between her eyebrows. Oh, how I wish I had a mother, Maida said longingly. I guess I wouldn't say a word to her, no matter how strict she was. I guess you don't know what you'd do until you tried it, Rosie said. Granny and Billy had been curiously quiet in the other room. Suddenly, Billy Potter stepped to the door. I've just thought of a great game, children, he said. But we've got to play it in the kitchen. Bring some crayons, Maida. The children raced after him. What is it? they asked in chorus. Billy did not answer. He lifted Granny's easy chair with Granny, knitting and all, and placed it in front of the kitchen stove. Then he began to draw a huge rectangle on the clean stone floor. Guess, he said. Sure, and I know what it's going to be, smiled Granny. Maida and Rosie watched him closely. Suddenly, they both shouted together, Hopscotch! Hopscotch! Right you are, Billy approved. He searched among the coals on the hod until he found a hard piece of slate. All right now, he said briskly. Your turn first, Rosie, because you're company. Rosie failed at 5C. Maida's turn came next, and she failed on 3Z. Billy followed Maida, but he hopped on the line on 2Z. I believe I could play that game old as I am, Granny said suddenly. I bet you could, Billy said. Sure, I was a fine player I was when I was a little girl. Come on, Granny, Billy said. The two little girls jumped up and down, clapping their hands and shrieking. Granny's gonna play, Granny's gonna play. They made so much noise finally that Billy had to threaten to stand them on their heads in a corner. Granny took her turn after Billy. She hopped about like a very active and very benevolent old fairy. Oh, doesn't she look like the dame in fairy tales, Maida said. They played for a half an hour, and who do you suppose won? Not Maida, with all her newfound strength. Not Rosie, with all her nervous energy. Not Billy, with all his athletic training. Mrs. Delia Flynn, champion of America and Ireland, Billy greeted the victor. Granny, we'll have to enter you in the next Olympic Games. They returned after this breathless work to the living room. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, Billy announced. Oh, 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 Maida squealed. Do. Billy tells the most wonderful stories, Rosie. Stories he's heard and stories he's read. But the most wonderful ones are those that he makes up as he goes along. The two little girls settled themselves on the hearth rug at Billy's feet. Granny sat not far off, working with double speed at her neglected knitting. Once upon a time, Billy said, there lived a little girl named Clara, 
and Clara was the naughtiest little girl in the world. She was a pretty child, and a clever child, and everyone would have loved her if she had only given them a chance. But how can you love a child who is doing naughty things all the time? Particularly was she a great trial to her mother. That poor lady was not well and needed care and attention herself. But instead of giving her these, Clara gave her only hard words and disobedient acts. The mother used sometimes to punish her little daughter, but it seemed as if this only made her worse. Both father and mother were in despair about her. Clara seemed to be growing steadily worse and worse, and, indeed, lately, she had added to her naughtiness by threatening to run away. One night, it happened. Clara had been so bad that her mother had put her to bed early. The moment her mother left the room, Clara whipped over to the window. I'm going to dress myself and climb out of the window and run away and never come back, she said to herself. The house in which Clara lived was built on the side of a cliff overlooking the sea. As Clara stood there in her nightgown, the moon began to rise and come up out of the water. Now the moonrise is always a beautiful sight, and Clara stopped for a moment to watch it, fascinated. It seemed to her that she had never seen the moon look so big before, and certainly she had never seen it such a color, a soft, deep orange. In fact, it might have been an immense orange, or better, a monster pumpkin stuck on the horizon line. The strange thing about the moon, though, was that it grew larger instead of smaller. It rose higher and higher, growing bigger and bigger, until it was halfway up the curve of the sky. Then it stopped short. Clara watched it, her eyes bulging out of her head. In all her experience, she had never seen such a surprising thing. And while she watched, another remarkable thing happened. A great door in the moon opened suddenly, and there on the threshold stood a little old lady. A strange little old lady she was. A little old lady with short red skirts and high, gaily flowered draperies at her waist. A little old lady with a tall, black sugar loaf hat. A great white ruff around her neck and little red shoes with bright silver buckles on them. A little old lady who carried a black cat perched on one shoulder and a broomstick on one hand. The little old lady stooped down and lifted something over the threshold. Clara strained her eyes to see what it was. It looked like a great roll of golden carpeting. With a sudden deft movement, the little old lady threw it out of the door. It flew straight across the ocean, unrolling as swiftly as a ball of twine that you flung across the room. It came nearer and nearer. 
The farther it got from the moon, the faster it unrolled. After a while, it struck against the shore right under Clara's window, and Clara saw it was the wake of the moon. She watched. The little old lady had disappeared from the doorway in the moon, but the door did not close. And suddenly, still another wonderful thing happened. The golden wake lifted itself gradually from the water until it was level with Clara's window. Bending down, she touched it with both her soft little hands. It was as firm and hard as if it had been woven from strands of gold. Now's my time to run away from my cross mother, Clara said to herself. I guess that nice old lady in the moon wants me to come and be her little girl. Well, I'll go. I guess they'll be sorry in the house tomorrow when they wake up and find they're never going to see me again. Opening the window gently that nobody might hear her, she stepped onto the wake of gold. It felt cool and hard to her little bare feet. It inclined gently from her window. She ran down the slope until she reached the edge of the sea. There she hesitated. For a moment, it seemed a daring thing to walk straight out to the moon, with nothing between her and the water but a path of gold. Then she recalled how her mother had sent her to bed, and her heart hardened. She started briskly out. From Clara's window, it had looked as though it would take her only a few moments to get to the moon. But the farther she went, the farther from her the doorway seemed to go. But she did not mind that the walk was so long, because it was so pretty. Looking over the edge of the wake of gold, deep down into the water, she could see all kinds of strange sights. At one place, a school of little fish swam up to the surface of the water. Clara knelt down and watched their pretty graceful motions. The longer she gazed, the more fish she saw and the more beautiful they seemed. Pale blue fishes with silver spots, pale pink ones with golden stripes, gorgeous red ones with jeweled black horns, brilliant yellow and green ones that shone like phosphorus. And here and there, gliding among them, were what seemed little angelfish, like living rainbows, whose filmy wing-like fins changed color when they swam. Clara reached into the water and tried to catch some of these marvelous beings. But at her first motion, bing! The water looked as if it were streaked with rainbow lightning. Swish! It was dull and clear again, with nothing between her and the quiet seaweed-covered bottom. A little farther along, Clara came across a wonderful sea grotto. Again, she knelt down on the wake of gold and watched. At the bottom, the sand was so white and shiny that it might have been made of stardust. Growing up from it were beds of marvelous sea flowers, 
opening and shutting delicate petals. Beautiful sea fans that waved with every ripple. High, thick shrubs and towering trees in which the fishes had built their nests. In and out among all this undergrowth frisked tiny seahorses, ridden by mischievous sea urchins. They leaped and trotted and galloped, as if they were so happy that they did not know what to do. Clara felt that she must play with them. She put one little foot in the water to attract their attention. Bing! The water seemed alive with scuttling things. Swish! The grotto was so quiet that she could not believe that there was anything living in it. A little farther on, Clara came upon a sight even more wonderful than this. A village of mer-people. It was set so far down in the water that it seemed a million miles away. And yet the water was so clear that she felt she could touch the housetops. The mer-houses seemed to be made of a beautiful, sparkling white coral with big, wide-open windows through which the tide drifted. The mer streets seemed to be cobbled in pearl, the sidewalks to be paved in gold. At their sides grew mer trees, the highest she had ever seen, with all kinds of beautiful singing fish roosting in their branches. Little mer boats of carved pink coral with purple seaweed sails, or of mother of pearl with rosy mer flower petal sails, were floating through the streets. In some sat little mermaidens, the sunlight flashing on their pretty green scales, on their long golden tresses, on the bright mirrors they held in their hands. Other boats held little merboys who made beautiful music on the harps they carried. At one end of the mer village, Clara could see one palace, bigger and more beautiful than all the others. Through an open window, she caught a glimpse of the Mer King, a jolly old fellow with a fat red face and a long white beard sitting on a throne of gold. At his side reclined the Mer Queen, a very beautiful lady with a skin as white as milk and eyes as green as emeralds. Little mer-princes and little mer-princesses were playing on the floor with tiny mer-kittens and tinier mer-puppies. One sweet little mer-baby was tiptailing towards the window with a pearl that she had stolen from her sister's coronet. It seemed to Clara that this mer-village was the most enchanting place that she had ever seen in her life. Oh, how she wanted to live there. Oh, good mer-king, she called entreatingly, and good mer-queen, please let me come to live in your palace. Bing! The water rustled and roiled as if all the birds of paradise that the world contained had taken flight. Swish! It was perfectly quiet again. 
The Mer village was as deserted as a graveyard. Well, if they don't want me, they shan't get me, Clara said. And she walked on twice as proud. By this time, she was getting closer and closer to the moon. The nearer she came, the bigger it grew. Now it filled the entire sky. The door had remained open all this time. Through it, she could see a garden. A garden more beautiful than any fairy tale garden that she'd ever read about. From the doorway, silvery paths stretched between hedges as high as a giant's head. Sometimes, these paths ended in fountains whose spray twisted into all kinds of fairy-like shapes. Sometimes, these paths seemed to stop flush against the clouds. Nearer stretched flower beds so brilliant that you would have thought a kaleidoscope had broken on the ground. Birds, like living jewels, flew in and out through the tree branches. They sang so hard that it seemed to Clara that they must burst their little throats. From the branches hung all kinds of precious stones, all kinds of delicious-looking fruits and candies. Clara could not scramble through the door quickly enough, but as she put one foot on the threshold, the little old lady appeared. She looked as if she had stepped out of a fairy tale, and yet... Clara had a strange feeling of discomfort when she looked at her. It seemed to Clara that the old lady's mouth was cruel and her eyes hard. Are you the little girl who's run away? the old lady asked. Yes, Clara faltered. And you want to live in the kingdom of the moon? Yes. Enter then. The old lady stepped aside, and Clara marched across the threshold. She felt the door swinging too behind her. She heard a bang as it closed, shutting her out of the world and into the moon. And then, what do you think happened? Billy stopped for a moment. Rosie and Maida rose to their knees. What happened? they asked breathlessly. The garden vanished, as utterly as if it were a broken soap bubble. Gone were the trees and the flowers. Gone were the fountains and the birds. Gone, too, were the jewels, the candies, and the fruits. The place had become a huge, dreary waste, stretching as far as Clara could see into the distance. It seemed to her as if all the trash that the world had outgrown had been dumped here. It was so covered with heaps of old rubbish. Clara turned to the old lady. She had not changed except that her cruel mouth sneered. Clara burst into tears. I want to go home, she screamed. Let me go back to my mother. The old lady only smiled. You open that door and let me go back to my mother, Clara cried passionately.
but I can't open it, the old lady said. It's locked. I have no keys. Where are the keys? Clara asked. The old lady pointed to the endless heaps of rubbish. There, somewhere, she said. I'll find them, Clara screamed, and open that door and run back to my home. You shan't keep me from my own dear mother, you wicked woman. Nobody wants to keep you, the old lady said. You came of your own accord. Find the keys if you want to go back. That was true, and Clara wisely did not answer. But you can fancy how she regretted coming. She began to search among the dump heaps. She could find no keys. But the longer she hunted, the more determined she grew. It seemed to her that she searched for weeks and weeks. It was very discouraging, very dirty, and very fatiguing work. She moved always in a cloud of dust. At times, it seemed as if her back would break from bending so much. Often, she had to bite her lips to keep from screaming with rage after she had gone through a rubbish pile as high as her head and still no keys. All kinds of venomous insects stung her. All kinds of vines and brambles scratched her. All kinds of stickers and thistles pricked her. Her little feet and hands bled all the time. But still, she kept at it. After that first conversation, Clara never spoke with the old lady again. After a few days, Clara left her in the distance. At the end of a week, the moon door was no longer in sight when Clara looked back. But during all those weeks of weary work, Clara had a chance to think. She saw for the first time what a naughty little girl she had been and how she had worried the kindest mother in the world. Her longing for her mother grew so great at times that she had to sit down and cry. But after a while, she would dry her eyes and go at the hunt with fresh determination. One day, she caught a glint of something shining from a clump of bushes. She had to dig and dig to get at it, for about these bushes, the ashes were packed down hard. But finally, she uncovered a pair of iron keys. On one was printed in letters of gold, I'm sorry. On the other, I'll never do so again. Clara seized the keys joyfully and ran all the long way back to the great door. It had two locks. She put one key in the upper lock, turned it, a great bolt jarred. She put the other key in the second lock, turned it, a great bolt jarred. The door swung open. I'm sorry, Clara whispered to herself. I'll never do so again. She had a feeling that as long as she had said those magic words, everything would go well with her. Extending out from the door was the wake of gold. 
Clara bounded through the opening and ran. She turned back after a few moments, and there was the old lady with her cat and her broomstick standing in the doorway. But the old lady's face had grown very gentle and kind. Clara did not look long. She ran as fast as she could pelt across the golden path, whispering, I'm sorry, I will never do so again. I'm sorry, I will never do so again. I'm sorry, I will never do so again. And as she ran, all the little people came to the surface of the water to encourage her. The little mermaidens flashed their mirrors at her. The little boys played wonderful music on their harps. The mer-king gave her a jolly smile and the mer-queen blew her a kiss. All the little mer-princesses and all the little mer-princes held up their pets to her. Even the mer-baby clapped her dimpled hands. And farther on, all the little seahorses with the sea urchins on their backs assembled in bobbing groups. And farther on, all the little rainbow fishes gathered in shining files. As she ran, all the scratches and gashes in her flesh healed up. After a while, she reached her own window. Opening it, she jumped in. Turning to pull it down, she saw the old lady disappear from the doorway of the moon, saw the door close upon her, saw the wake of gold melt and fall into the sea, where it lay in a million gleaming spangles, saw the moon float up into the sky, growing smaller and smaller and paler and paler until it was no larger than a silver plate. And now it was the moon no longer. It was the sun. Its rays were shining hot on her face. She was back in her little bed, Her mother's arms were about her, and Clara was saying, I'm sorry, I will never do so again. For a long time after Billy finished, the room was very quiet. Then suddenly, Rosie jumped to her feet. That was a lovely story, Billy, she said, but I guess I don't want to hear any more now. I think I'll go home. Sweet dreams, my friend. Sleep well.